Hey, good morning. Hey, if you're new, you're with us online, or you're here in the room, I'm Charlie, the lead pastor here, and really glad you are worshiping with us for your first time, and we're just welcome so much. So glad that everyone's here, and we just finished up a series last week on relationships and are now moving to our Easter series, and if you are like me, then time is just, I don't even understand time anymore. Has it, has it been a year? Has it been 10 years? I don't remember. Is Easter, I don't know, but... According to the calendar, Easter is just four weeks away. So we're starting our Easter series. I ask you to go ahead and just be praying about that. I mean, even in uh, strange times like what we live in, there are still people out there that just still continue to connect Easter with, you know, this, their one time a year where they want to connect with God. And we have a great opportunity, be it online or in the room, to be able to bring the gospel to people who need it. So just be praying for that. would really appreciate it. So we're starting a series today leading up to Easter. We're going to be looking at the last um, eight days of Jesus' life, all the, kind of the week leading up to the death and resurrection. And um, one of the things we're going to be looking at is kind of, you know, some of the expectations that people had, like what they really thought, like, like this is the climax of the Messiah, the, the Son of God. It's the climax of His life, like what they expected Versus well, who Jesus really was. And I was thinking about this. because This is a show that my wife and I have watched. And I'm a few, probably a few of you have. I'll ask here in the room. How many of you have watched or are watching on Netflix The Crown? The Crown? Okay. Well, I, I guess in my mind everybody was watching it. But because I'm watching it. And normally it's not the kind of show that I would like. You know, like period pieces. I mean, the things with... I'm, I'm not really sure with like the royal family. Like, who cares? Right, but 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 my wife is really into it, and so I have this role, and I actually really I actually do enjoy it. But my role is the guy I sit in the back uh, uh, with my iPad, uh, googling, did that really happen? Because what this show is about, it's about kind of behind the scenes a little bit of the life of Queen Elizabeth, and um, looking at different kind of each season, kind of looks at a different period of her life when kind of something big was going on either within the royal family or within Great Britain. And kind of what was going on behind the scenes with her. And so, you know, I'll sit there and I'll look it up and then I'll pause it and explain to whoever's in the room at the time what, what the story is. No, oh, man, that, that really did. That's a, that's a real person. Like, so that's, that's my job. And a couple of things that are intriguing about it. One is, it's crazy to me that the woman who was the Queen of England now was also the Queen of England when Winston Churchill was the Prime Minister. I mean, that's crazy. It's crazy enough that you'd be like, oh, there's Margaret Thatcher. There's Tony Blair. Yeah, I guess she was prime minister when they were around. But we had Winston Churchill. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just crazy. And the other thing is like, like you think, okay, you're going to see behind the scenes. And you're like, I wonder what they're really like. And in my brain, it, like, it seems like they're like exactly what I thought they would be. Not, you know, the, the, there's drama and intrigue. But they're just like formal, fancy all the time. Like, casual wear is still, like, the nicest thing in any of our closets, right? And the, and, the, and the biggest outcast black sheep would still be, like, the fanciest person you have ever met in your life. But, like, in my brain, like, what would it be like you're watching an episode of The Crown and there's something really intriguing going on and, and, it, and, it, and, it, and it flashes to Queen Elizabeth and she's in sweatpants, like a big oversized sweatshirt, and she's just throwing down on some chicken nuggets and mac and cheese, right? I mean, like that, like that, like that's like what? But like she, she kind of is what you expect. But you know, there's some people. It's like, or some people they play a certain role, and so if they play a certain role, like you expect 
You expect them to, to be one way, but then they're not. Like, like the poor people who think, man, I came across this church, and, and there's this pastor, so he's a pastor, and that means something. And then you accidentally see me last night at the Razorback game, and I'm just letting out this emotional guttural roar at the end of the game because we've now won our 11th consecutive um, SEC game. Oh, so anyways, like, and, and, and or you see me, or you, or you see me out and about, and, uh, and and unlike what happens in the Crown, you will in fact see me all over town wearing an oversized sweatshirt, sweatpants, and and throwing down on chicken nuggets. Um. So Jesus, this is where I tie this back in, right? So, so Jesus, he, he has these titles that you see all throughout the Gospels. The, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, King, Lord, Prince, all of these roles and titles that he has. And with those titles, he's a king, he's a lord, he's a prince. We have certain expectations and ideas of what that means that Jesus must be like. Or said another way, there are certain expectations that we have about if Jesus is God, if Jesus is the King, if Jesus is Lord, there are certain expectations that I have about what Jesus will do. You can now have a relationship with the Son of God. Okay, that means Jesus is like this, and it means Jesus will do this thing for me in just this way, because that's the way King, Lord, God's behave. That's the way that they think. That's what they're supposed to do. And Jesus spent much of his life when he was doing ministry turning upside down what other people's expectations of him would be. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Savior. Oh, that means this. No, it means this. Like, okay, well, you're going to hang out mostly and kind of connect with the super religious people. Actually, the most religious people were the people that didn't like Jesus, and he hung out way more with prostitutes and tax collectors. Well, he must be some, you know, you know, no, no one who's like the son of God and like a really important priest or king would hang out with the poor the way that he does, the outcast, the broken. And everywhere you look, Jesus is kind of shifting and, 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 and changing the expectations of what you would think that God's son would be and what God's son would do. And we're going to see that in the story that we're kicking off today. And so we're, um, again, we're looking at kind of the last week of Jesus. And so unfortunately for some of you, if, if you came from a liturgical church, and if you don't know what liturgical means, then you did not come from one. The church that kind of like a little bit, a little bit more formal than we are kind of fall away a very specific preaching calendar every Sunday through the year. Um, if it comes to you, I'm about to offend you, and I'm really, really sorry. But we're doing a Palm Sunday message today, and we are three weeks out from Palm Sunday. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I apologize if it throws you off. You can, my bad. But in order to really cover everything that we want in that last week, we want to start here, and that means Palm Sunday three weeks early. All right, Luke chapter 19 starting in verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, 
And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. So Jesus has kind of been out and about in different parts surrounding Jerusalem and Israel, um, doing ministry, healing, teaching. Um, He's been doing all of this, and he is now making his way to Jerusalem, which is the capital. And, And he knows, and Jesus knows, what is about to happen there. And so he knows at this moment he is now approaching the end of his life, and he knows, I mean, you can't really, I mean, spoiler alert, right? I mean, it's, you know, it's a 2,000-year-old story, and we're at church, right? He knows he's about to be arrested. He knows that he is going to be crucified. But he is making this entry into Jerusalem where he knows all of these things are about to happen to him. And as they get there, um, he stop, they're approaching. He stops and says, hey, guys, I want you, a couple of you guys to go up to this village ahead. There's, there's, there's a donkey there that I need to that I'm going to ride, you just, you're going to, you'll find it just like this and untie it. And if somebody asks, why are you untying this, this, this cult? You just tell them the Lord needs it. So they go there and it happens just like that. And it's like, someday we just need to do a sermon on that guy who's just kind of minding his own business, kind of looks out the window and is like, what on earth? And they're untying his, like his brand new cult. He's like, what are you doing? And they say, the Lord needs it. I mean, I'm sure that God connected with this guy somehow supernaturally in advance and he knew that this was coming, but come on. I mean, that's just crazy. Can you imagine? Like, somebody's getting in your car. Like, what are you doing with my car? The Lord needs it. But that's what's happening to this guy. And so they grab it and take it just like he said, and they put the coats on this donkey, and then they put Jesus on it, and then they start to, to walk, to march towards Jerusalem. And now the followers that Jesus had are now really, really excited. Now, sometimes the way that this story is told, we act like, like the entire city of Jerusalem was kind of in an uproar about this. It is very likely that not many people knew what was going on here. Jesus had a few dozen followers, maybe a couple of hundred at this point. And um, he, ha- he certainly had a, a band of critics that followed him everywhere. And so it was really kind of this group. This group sees that Jesus is coming. He's kind of coming and they're, and they're laying their cloaks out for him to go And in other tellings of the story, it also talks about them waving these palm branches. And they are singing praises, calling him the king. And they are worshiping Jesus as he is entering Jerusalem. And then the Pharisees, which is this religious group that didn't really care for Jesus, um, they're like, Jesus, you hear what they're saying, right? You hear they're worshiping you. You need to tell them to stop. This is not cool. This is blasphemy. They are, they are, they are giving 
song and praise to you that is reserved only for God. You need to tell them to stop. And then Jesus says something completely ridiculous. And he says, man, I could, I guess, but if they didn't do it, then the rocks would start singing. Which, again, I can just imagine like the Pharisees, I mean, like, do they kind of look at each other and go, Ooh. or they're like, they've seen enough Jesus stuff, they'd be like, maybe we're just going to kind of let this go because the last thing I want to see today is a bunch of rocks singing. Right? I, I don't know. But Jesus is like, listen, you cannot stop this worship. This worship is essential. If the people won't do it, God will raise up his creation to do it. And then he, his, his followers, they, then they, they kind of march and walk into Jerusalem. So this is, a, this is, this is, this is you know, in and of itself, like, maybe like we don't really know what's really going on here. But there's actually a lot of layers here to an original reader, to someone who was there. There's a lot of powerful significance here. But again, there's a lot of powerful significance here that even the people miss because of their own preconceptions about what Jesus was supposed to be. But the first thing and the most clear thing that um, we're meant to draw from this is that Jesus, Jesus is the king. He is entering Jerusalem the way that a king would, with his followers praising and, 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 and worshiping him and, and laying out, we can't even have your donkey we can't even have it touch the dirt. We're going to put our cloaks, and you can't touch the donkey. We're going to put our cloaks over the donkey and worship and waving of the branches. And it's like, he's the king. And the people start singing, it's the king. The king is coming to Jerusalem. And Jesus' response when the Pharisees, again, were like, they shouldn't be saying that. And he's like, somebody's going to. It's either going to be them or the rocks. And I think this, this point is important because at this moment, Jesus is accepting worship. He's accepting this praise as the king. And sometimes people get it in their heads, and maybe you've heard it said, or maybe you have even thought this from time to time, that Jesus was just this really smart teacher. He was really wise. He was really good. He was a good person. People, people, you know, appreciate his teaching. And 2,000 years later, we can still appreciate his teaching. But at some point, people kind of got confused and decided, hey, but, but what, if, what if Jesus was like God, though? Right? And, and so they begin to think about him differently. Well, this story, again, that is in all of the Gospels, which is a, a, a well-grounded story, says the exact opposite of that. Jesus knew who he was and is allowing them in that moment to say it. They are worshiping him. He is accepting worship. He is doing everything that one would do. This is the way that kings would often enter cities. He is connecting himself with prophecies that are made about this moment that make hint clear that he is the king, that he is the son of God, and he is the Messiah, he is the Savior. Jesus knew who he was. And it wasn't that he was misunderstood or, or that these people were misunderstood because every other time in Scripture, you see it all the time, like an angel will visit someone or like a follower of Jesus will do some miracle of some kind and people will start worshiping them. And every time the angel, Paul, Peter, John, whoever it is says, Bro, stand up. Stand up, I'm just a dude. I'm just an angel. If someone tries to worship, they always reject him and worship God alone. 
when Jesus is worshipped and somebody tries to stop it on his behalf, he says, you can't stop it. Because not only are these people worshipping the very creation that I created, they will worship in their place. And so he accepts this worship. He's fulfilling prophecy. He's entering like a king. And so again, I think it is really important for us theologically to make sure that we understand this. Jesus was not a great teacher who was misunderstood. He was not some wise person who later his followers decided to reinvent his personality. He he was the Son of God. He was the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. This is who Jesus was. This is who Jesus is. And so they're worshiping him. They're praising him. The king has now entered the capital. And they are an oppressed people, an occupied country, where Roman, where the Roman occupiers and a puppet government that they have set up, the Romans, like they, they, they are an occupied people. Their capital has been completely taken over. And now the king has entered the capital. And so we know that Jesus is the king, but here's the challenge for them, and I'm going to suggest ultimately for us, he's the king, but not in the way that anyone expected. You are the king of the Jews, you are the king of kings, you are the Lord of lords, you are, and you are entering into the capital city as the king. And currently God's people are being oppressed and are conquered and occupied by a, form, uh, by, by a, foreign, um, a, a foreign country, that rejects God. There is really only one thing that you should expect. This is about to be the spark of revolution. He is about to, he is about to start a revolution. This is when God really shows up big. And they are going to be, the, the enemies are going to be vanquished. And they are going to have their country back. Um, this, was, this was prophesied that one day this would happen. Jesus is connecting himself with a lot of these prophecies. Clearly, this is what's about to happen. But he was, even though he was the king, he is God and he is accepting this worship. It's not in the way that anyone expected. And in fact, you see glimpses of it. You see him trying to tell them in the story. So there's two ways in this time that a king would enter into a city. A king on a horse, say, pulling a chariot communicates one thing. This king is coming to either conquer in war or is coming back having conquered in war. He's in his armor. He's on his horse. He's pulling a chariot. He's got his troops. That is a king. That is a conquering king. That is the war king who is coming. But a king can also enter a capital. He can also enter a city that he's currently not ruling And that king can enter and would enter on a donkey. And a king entering your city or your country or your territory on a donkey communicates something very different. This king comes in peace. So the king on the donkey is coming in peace. They're expecting revolution. They're expecting war. But what Jesus is clearly trying to communicate to them is I am coming to bring Peace. So not only does he do that, but again, when the king enters into the, to the city, 
You expect everyone to be there. You expect the rich, the powerful, the leaders to be out there welcoming the king home. The closest thing to a powerful leader that was there were the people who were trying to shout his followers down. It was outcasts, prostitutes, the poor, the broken, the sick, the, 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 the least of the least in this culture. They were the ones that were there. And so Jesus is coming as king. He's accepting this worship. He's accepting this praise, but not in the way that they expected. And he's trying to communicate this to them. And what they want from Jesus is, is, is literal freedom from the Romans. They want their country back. They want a conquering king. 2,000 years later, not much has changed. And I ask you, what do you want from Jesus? What do you want God to do? If I were to tell you that the God of the universe wants to be in relationship with you and that He wants to lead you, He wants to change your life, He wants to give you life, and that this is what God wants to do, and He's going to do it through His Son, Jesus, what do you want Him to do? It's really not any different. The difference is the types of foes. It's the vanquishing of foes. It's the solving of problems. It's the, bringing, it's, it's the fixing of the broken circumstances in my life. The things that I don't like. The things that I don't want. The things that are broken. The, the, the people who are hurting me. The circumstances that don't work. I want you to come in and fix it because that's what kings do. That's what God does. That's what saviors do. Saviors save. Good kings rule and fix problems. That's what they expected. That's what we expect. But we see in the way that he came... And what's about to unfold over the next week is that he came to sacrifice himself, not to conquer. They're expecting a conqueror. And what they get is Jesus sacrificing himself. Because Jesus is the king. Not in the way that anyone expected. But in the way that we need it. So the passage we looked at, Luke chapter 19, we stopped at verse 40. You know, they say the rocks are going to cry out. In verse 41, it continues as he continues to enter into Jerusalem. Verse 41, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. So he's looking at these people who oppose him. He's looking at the poor people who are, who are singing and waving and putting down their coats. He thinks about the thousands of people in Jerusalem who are, who are there in Jerusalem and could not care less that Jesus was coming. And he thinks about each and every one of them in all of their different circumstances. And he begins to cry thinking about them. He starts crying. Why does he cry? Verse 42. And he said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The Prince of Peace has now entered into Jerusalem. 
and he wants to bring them peace. But what they think they want, he's not going to do. And he knows what they want. He knows what they wish he would do. He knows what he said he's ultimately going to do. But he knows what he's about to do in this moment. And it would bring them the overwhelming peace that they need. But they just can't see it. And it makes him cry. You want me to do this? I'm not, this is not what I'm going to do. But I, I have this ability now, what I'm about to do, the sacrifice that I'm going to give, it has the ability to genuinely give you peace, but you can't see it. You can't see it, and it, and it, and it makes him cry. You think your problems are external to you. You think the problem is the Roman government. You think it's the conquering. You think it's, 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 your, you think it's your poverty. You think it's your lack of social power. This is what you think the problem is. And if I fix that, you'll have peace. I could fix that, and you still wouldn't have peace because that's not the core problem. The core problem is your sin. And your sin has separated you from God. And it has undone you. And it is because of that that the Romans are here in the first place. This is a punishment for your collective sin from hundreds and thousands of years ago. And you want me to fix circumstances, but I want to come and give you peace. And that comes from the forgiveness of sin that I'm going to offer you this week. But you just can't see it and it makes him cry. 2,000 years later, nothing's different. Your heart and your mind and your life are in chaos. And there is overwhelming stress in your life and you want God to step into it. And you, and you, and you open up your favorite website and it tells you, it tells you what the problem is. You know there's a problem and you open it up and, you, and then it, tells you, it tells you what the problem is. They did this to us. They did it. I can't believe that we've allowed them to do this to us. And if we could just somehow get rid of them, if we could marginalize them, if we could ostracize them and get rid of them, then suddenly we could have peace again. And God needs to do that. If God would just come in and get rid of this virus, then we could have peace. We get rid of our political enemies. We get rid of this virus. And then suddenly... I can have peace. And that's what God is supposed to do. That is what Jesus is supposed to do. And that's when peace comes. And he hears you say that. And he knows that's in your heart. And he looks at you and he cries. I'm trying to give them peace. And all they can see is their perception of the injustice of their current circumstances. And I am offering them life and peace through the gospel. They just can't see it. Well, no, 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 but you don't understand. I just, I just need to God come and tell my spouse that it's always been their fault. And that they know it. I just, I just, I just, need, I just need this one situation with the job to get fixed. I just, I, just, I just need this financial circumstance to get fixed. We just need... The thems to no longer have any political power in this nation anymore. And the nation can be what the nation was always meant to be. And if God will just do that, then there can be peace. And you keep saying it. And it keeps making him cry.
Because if you, even you, had known what would bring you peace. The sacrifice that Jesus made with the gospel. The forgiveness of your sins. The restoration with God allows you to have peace regardless of circumstances. You've lived through good times. You've lived through bad times. And you've been at war inside yourself during both of them. But Jesus is calling and he is offering peace in your heart and in your life. He's offering forgiveness restoration with God, the restoration and renewal of your soul. And He is calling us to be captivated by that. And anytime we have a message where the focus really is just on believing and trusting in the gospel, a lot of times what we think is, man, I sure hope there's some people in here that have not never really received Jesus, have never really received the gospel. I hope they hear it. And I agree with that. If there's anybody here in this room that has never made an initial decision to follow Jesus, to embrace Jesus and this gospel, his death, his sacrifice, his payment for your sin, you've not accepted the peace and the life that he offers. I hope if you've never done that, that you will do that today. But it is not just people who need to respond to this for the first time that need to respond to this. We all need to be captivated by this gospel. Because we are all looking at places that will not bring us peace to give us peace. We are all looking for God to do something that He never said He would do or would not do until the very, very end. And we're looking at that. We put our hope, our trust, and, and our peace is conditioned on that. And we continue to make him cry. Because what he wants, it's not because he's disappointed in you. It's not because he's frustrated in you. It's because his heart breaks looking at his people who could be experiencing the love and the life and the peace that he offers. But instead, we are settling for something very different. Settling for things much worse. And every one of us, whether it's for the first time or the next time, need to be captivated by this Jesus. Captivated by this gospel. And allow the peace that he offers to come. So as we start this Easter series and we kind of prepare our hearts over these next few weeks for just a continued deep reflection on on Jesus' arrest, his death, his resurrection. Let's pray that for ourselves and pray it for each other. That the power and the life and the peace of this 